Well, hello, Harvest Community Church. It's great to be with you this weekend. My name is Mike. I say that for the benefit of first-time visitors or people with very bad memories. So now you know who I am. It's so good to be here. And before I launch into this chapter, I, we, we exist to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. And I want all the campuses of Harvest to know that um, um, not this weekend, but next weekend... Um, one of our own is going to be delivering his first sermon at the First Baptist Church in New Bethlehem, John Thomas. John came to Christ years ago right here at Harvest. He, came, he brought his children to VBS with Sarah and uh, they, uh, he, he received the Lord here and he's taught our children and now he has an opportunity to go and, and preach the gospel um, at a church that right now is, doesn't have a pastor and, and so he's going to deliver his first sermon. And so that's really exciting. Hopefully some of us uh, will be there to support him. I won't. I will be, God willing, here doing the exact same thing. But I think that's great. And we thank God that he raises up workers uh, from our midst to send them out. Now, speaking of uh, God, let's jump back into 1 Samuel chapter 26. We've only got a few more chapters left in 1 Samuel. David is on the run Um, he's almost done being on the run, whether he knows it or not. You might be a little puzzled as we go through these last several chapters as to why David doesn't just kill Saul. Why why doesn't he just do him in? Um, He's going to be the king anyway. It's God's plan. And the answer is David knows that God put Saul on the throne. The, The same prophet and judge, Samuel, who anointed him, David, to be king, also anointed Samuel. So, so David honors that. And so he, he expressed, shows a lot of character uh, throughout these last several chapters. And this is the second time he could have taken his life. And he even had to argue with his own guys this time. They're like, okay, we've been on the run from these guys. They're trying to kill us. We've got him where we want him. Why don't we just take him out? And still, David is trusting. He, he exhibits a lot of trust here. And he doesn't, he doesn't kill Saul. And, and ultimately, Saul promises that he's going to leave him be. And in fact, Saul's going to keep that promise. This is the end of the fight between David and Saul, though David doesn't seem to trust in that, as we'll see next chapter. You can read ahead yourself if you want, and you'll know what's going to happen. But the, this really was the end. Um, I want us to just focus on verses 22 to 24, because David is, is here um, uh, making a theological truth statement, and I want us just to test it a little bit, uh, because if it's true, it, it applies to all of us today, just like it did to him then. So if, looking back at verse 22, I want to reread just a few verses. Verse 22, David answered and said, here is the sparrow king, let one of the young men come over and take it. So he gives the weapon that he could have killed the king with to the king, king likes spears apparently he always has a spear so here's a spear have a spear and i put in your collection um he is in the nsa the national spear association i think saul is verse 23 the lord rewards every man for his righteousness and faithfulness so david isn't just giving him the spear back he is now putting forth a theological teaching he says for the lord gave you into my hand today And I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord. So you get some insight 
into David's thinking. He's like, I'm honoring God by not killing you. So may God honor me and not kill me at your hand. And may he deliver me out of all tribulation. The part I want to test is right there in verse 23 where he says, The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. Is that true? Um, David contends that the Lord interacts with the affairs of men rewarding their faithfulness. Is this true? That's the question I want to ask and, and, and answer from the text. Um, is it true that the Lord interacts with mankind? Let's take that half first instead of the reward part. Um, there, there's views of God that says, no, he just winds up the world and lets it rip and we do what we do and he cleans up the mess later. Um, there's even some Christian views that come close to that view. You know, because of, of the nature of... Um, of, of free will, God kind of just lets things go, watches, does some custodial work here and there. David seems to think God is interacting with everything. The Lord put you in my hand, he says. He, he sees him and Saul, him running into Saul as God's interaction, and he always seems to think like this. He believed that God sent the lion to eat the sheep that he killed and that God sent the wolf to eat the sheep and he killed that, you know. And God's, God's in charge of everything. Is it true that God interacts with the affairs of mankind? Well, yeah, that's certainly true in the scripture. We, we learn from the Bible that God is not a God that starts the thing going and then just pulls back and waits to see what happens and cleans up the mess later. And God is also not the creation itself. He's not a tree. He's not the people. He's not the dirt. He's not living things. He transcends those. But he still shepherds all the details, all the way down to right now it's springtime where we will soon be seeing uh, fireflies, which really aren't flies, they're beetles. And um, whatever they got to do to get ready to all pop out like they're gonna in a few weeks, God's seeing to every single one of their nests. Right? He's, he's counting the feathers on all the baby robins. He, he knows all things and he interacts with all things. This is true from the time of Adam on. We see God not only creating everything, but he chats with Adam and Eve. And he's, he's very close to them. And so as far as we as humans go, he's in our every life. The Proverbs summarizes it this way. The mind of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. So... There's, there's no restriction on that. Any human being may make their plan, but God is going to be the one who determines the outcome of that plan, whether that person be good or evil. Now, God interacts with some people in the Bible by chatting with them. He chatted with Adam and Eve. <laughs> he chatted with Cain. We don't know if he chatted with Abel. You know, he talked to Abraham a little bit and Isaac a little bit and Jacob a little bit. He talked to Joseph in dreams, mostly, other people's. <laughs> Um, but most of the people he interacts with, you don't even know he's doing it. You don't even know he's there. It's invisible, but when Jesus came to earth and revealed what the Father was like, 
He said, look, God is so amazingly in touch with you that he counts your hairs. That's not just a statement of how amazingly intelligent God is, although it is, because you can keep track of hairs on on every human. it's It's a sign of his care. The implication is, just like a bird can't die without his permission, a hair can't fall off of your hairy knuckles without him seeing it. If you have hairy knuckles. If you don't, he can count the pores on your knuckles. I mean, he, he, he's, he's, he's interacting very closely with all human beings. So, let's give it to David. He's right. He's right. God put Saul right there. God gave him a chance to pin Saul to the ground with a spear. God is the one engineering David being on the run. God is the one looking out for him. But what about the other half of that question? Does God reward a human being for being righteous and faithful? Because he says God certainly rewards those who who are righteous and faithful, like me, he's saying, who didn't kill you. He seems to be lecturing Saul or teaching Saul, but maybe he's also making sure God's confirming what he... Right, God? You wouldn't kill me, right, God? Is that right, though? Does God always reward us when we're righteous and faithful? Well, there's many ways to look at that question. And, And here's one way. Ultimately, none of us are righteous. One thing the Bible's very clear on is there's none righteous, no, not one. Even David knows this. As he says in the psalm, he says, I was conceived in sin. I came forth in sin. Even he knows he's not righteous. There's none righteous, no, not one. All we like sheep have gone astray because humanity is compared to God. God is the, actually all things are compared to God. God is holy, period. And anything that's less than that is wicked, Anything that's not holy, not perfect, and there's not a, not a son or daughter of Adam and Eve that's not sinful, with the exception of Jesus, Son of God. So in that sense, it could be true that God rewards everyone his righteousness and faithfulness, but that just means he doesn't have to reward anybody. If Santa figured this out, it'd save him a lot of time, you know? <laughs> whoever's naughty and whoever's nice, all the kids are naughty, you get nothing! I'm staying home this Christmas. <laughs> In the ultimate sense, there's no rewards that I've ever earned or David's ever earned. Second Corinthians sums up our need to be saved by Jesus when it says, For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, the one who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. To be, uh, and, and I know many of you know this, but I say this especially for the sake of those who may be visiting who do not know the simple gospel. It's, it's as simple as this. We're not righteous. So God came down, took on flesh, and he was righteous. His father being God, the Holy Spirit. He had no human father. He had his mother. He had no sin. And then what he did is he exchanged his righteousness for our sin. It's really a bad deal for him, good deal for us. He took all his, our sin upon himself and then he gives us his righteousness as a gift. So when he died, our sin died. So in light of the fact that, that anyone who believes in Jesus and follows him has their sins washed away. 
and that you could be made righteous by faith in Christ. Well, now let's ask the question, does God reward those who are righteous and faithful? Yeah. I mean, it's a loophole in the system. I get the righteousness of Christ. I get to wear it like a garment. Uh, if, if that's hard to understand, just think of the righteousness of God like a coat. Um, it's not yours, but he puts it on you. Boom. Um, it, it, if I have his righteousness, I get his rewards. Did you know that? The Bible says you get the rewards of Jesus. Uh, your fellow heirs, the Bible says. And so you get what he gets. If, if, if I could be righteous on my own, would Jesus have to die on a cross? Right? If we could be, right, if, if we could be righteous on our own, we don't need Jesus. We don't need a cross. He didn't need to die. Right? <laughs> There's the old, in the... 70s, they had the pop psychology book that said, I'm okay, you're okay. Probably because everyone knows deep down that they're not okay. Everyone knows you're not okay. We know we're not okay. You're not okay. But books that say, I'm not okay, and you stink too, they don't sell. So it's, I'm okay, you're okay. And then somebody made up a poster where Jesus was hanging on a cross, and it said, if I'm okay and you're okay, explain this. But if you receive Jesus, you'll be rewarded. So in that sense, yes. But that's really not the question we're asking, is it? We're really asking how our behavior corresponds to our rewards. So let me ask it another way. Does God reward every Christian for his or her righteousness and faithfulness? Make it more specific. In other words, does God reward the good person's behavior, or the person's good behavior maybe, After he comes to faith. So now I have the righteousness of God. You have the righteousness of God because Jesus gave it to you. Again, receive that. Receive it. Receive your forgiveness, Christian. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. You're as righteous as Jesus Christ is righteous. Um, and, And that's a good thing. But once you're made righteous, you're supposed to live a, a, a faithful and righteous way. Does the Bible teach that the person who lives faithfully and righteously will be rewarded? Well, that's a hard one to answer too. Because on this earth, (laughs) there's a lot of examples in the Bible of faithful people who things don't go so well for. Like John the Baptist. He seems to have no strikes against him, pulls off a perfect ministry, and then he gets his head lopped off to satisfy a jealous woman. Stephen, he got stoned to death for preaching a good sermon. John Thomas, keep that in mind. Make sure your life insurance paid up. Somebody goes, oh, it's a a joke. (laughs) Paul, (laughs) this is America. Uh, Paul, Paul suffered, he suffered so much that he said, if I wasn't going to be raised from the dead, the lifestyle I'm living isn't worth it. I'm, I'm in so much pain. He said, I was, e- I was even thrown to wild animals. You know, I've been beaten up, and I've been in jail, and I've been going hungry, and I've been shipwrecked, and I've been snake bit. If, if I was going to be, he says, my life has just gone nothing but downhill since I started following Christ from a physical reward point of view. 
And then he died with his head lopped off. But even so, here's how Paul would answer the question. Before he was, when he knew his time was short, he wrote this down to his friend Timothy. He says, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. He looked at his death as worship. And the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. He's saying, I'm just like David was in that cave. I, I am faithful. I did what was right. And then he says, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So he's saying, if you live faithfully on that day of judgment, I will be rewarded. And not just me, he says, any believer who lives faithfully for Christ will get a reward from the Lord. So in that sense, the answer is yes, David is correct. If a man or woman, boy or girl, lives faithfully before the Lord, they will get a reward for their good behavior. Just not on this earth. Well, that might be depressing in a a short term, but good for the long term, right? So let's ask the question more short term. That still leaves the question. Does God give earthly rewards for the... I keep having to make it more specific (laughs) to get to the heart of the question. Does God give earthly rewards for the good behavior of his faithful ones while they're still alive on the earth? David, you said God rewards those who are faithful and righteous. Does he do it right here? While, before I die? I'm not really into the head being lopped off thing, but if that has to be, that's fine. With David, yes. <laughs> yes, this is it. He's not going to have any more trouble with Saul. And, and he's going to be rewarded for his righteousness. He's going to be made king. He's... He's going to get everything. New car, new clothes, everything. Abraham, um, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Joshua, Caleb. All those people got rewarded for their faithfulness on this earth with health and riches and happiness. Jesus healed many people in the Gospels and some of them he said, I'm doing this as a reward for your faith. So there, some people were blind or crippled and, and because of their faithfulness, God said, boom, you're healed. So that's a reward. So yeah, in this world, that's true. So yes, you can get rewarded in this earth by God. But that still leaves us with Paul and John with their heads lopped off. It still leaves us with Jeremiah crying all the way through the Old Testament and Isaiah being sawn in two. It still leaves us with Job. So, what I'm saying is it is definitely a truism, what, what David's saying. It's true. God rewards those who live righteously and faithfully before him. So we should. But we can get confused because we think, well, I did right and I'm not feeling rewarded, right? Things can go south on you. How should we live in light of these things? Three biblical principles to live by. One, wise living 
yields rewards. There is such a thing as wisdom. It has nothing to do with gathered educational knowledge. You can have a lot of gathered educational knowledge and be a fool. You can have no educational knowledge and be a fool. You can have a lot of educational knowledge and be wise and whatever the other... Oh, you can have no educational knowledge and be wise. (laughs) It has nothing to do with whether your IQ is high or your IQ is low, whether you're good at math or you're a moron at math. It has nothing to do with any of those things. Wisdom is about making choices based on the truth of God's words. That's wisdom from the Bible. You make your decisions in life based on truth that you gain from God. People say, well, this person has natural wisdom. You may have some natural wisdom. You can just generally know some things that are true and behave wisely. But it's going to be very limited. (laughs) And the only way we know it's truly wise is because it's in the Bible. If you really want wisdom, you've got to go to the Bible. And so if you live wisely, which means righteously before God, it should generally improve your experience on the planet. Generally. The book of Proverbs is given to us as a a gift. Solomon asked for wisdom from God. God gave it to him. He had so much wisdom that everyone was super impressed with him. And fortunately, a lot of that wisdom he wrote down in the book of Proverbs. He wasn't the only author of that book, but he was one of the main ones. So you can study that book. And if you will remember what it says and then put what it says in practice, you will live wisely. When's the last time you looked at it? Satan doesn't want you looking at it. And I would say it's hard to read one chapter at a time. Just take a few verses at a time. And it's filled with wisdom. And if you read the book of Proverbs, you'll see that it openly says, wise people do this, fools do this. This is what happens to wise people, this is what happens to fools. uh, Chapter 3, speaking of wisdom itself, 13 to 18, it says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her, wisdom is being personified as a female. Today it'd be the gain from him, her, or zir. Little joke on the culture. You can laugh, it's okay. It helps ease the pain. For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. Better to have wisdom than silver or gold. Right there, that rules out about 80% of people. They will choose gold over wisdom. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. So here's a general promise that if you live righteously before God, what should be wisely, your life will probably be longer than if you did not. In her left hand are riches and honor. So you may end up with not only a good life, but riches too. She is a tree of life. No, her ways, excuse me, are ways of pleasantness. I love pleasantness. Big fan of pleasantness. And all her paths are peace. I like peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. 
Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Wise living guarantees that you won't make life worse, is how I'd put it. Not near as eloquent as that, I know. You will get the most joy possible. We're back to that John Wayne statement, all right? Where he says, life is hard, it's harder if you're stupid, all right? That is godly wisdom, even though he said it in a much different way. Wisdom is found in God alone. The Bible says in Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you say, well, I don't believe in God, you're already in full category. It doesn't mean all your decisions are going to be shipwrecks, but it does mean you're walking away from the most important wisdom you can get, and your life will be more difficult than it would be. Knowing there's a God and respecting him is where wisdom starts. And we see that in the life of David. He respects God more than anyone. Even when Abigail rescued him from from killing Nabal, she did it by his appeal to his relationship with God. She said, well, when the Lord gives you what he's going to give you, are you going to want to remember that you disobeyed him? He's like, no. Because he fears the Lord first. And I think that's why God said he's a man after my own heart. What about you? In your Christian life, Christian, his fear of the Lord guide you. Respect for him. What would he want? I had this Uber driver who was, might have heard in the news, asked to drive this woman to, uh, uh, he didn't know it. When she got in the car, he found out he was taking her to get an abortion. And, and he said, no, we're not going to do that. Don't get an abortion. This is a really rotten idea. And she said, it's my idea, and who are you, and you're going to take me. And he said, I just can't do it. And he said, I'll turn around and take you back. She says, you're not taking me anywhere. You're leaving me right here. And she got another ride, and she got her abortion. Okay, did he fear the Lord? Was he wise? Absolutely he was wise. And he lost his job. But he still feared the Lord. And God has him. She did not fear the Lord. And she needs our prayers. Who do you think will have a a more hurting conscience in the years to come? Many people ignore God and his instruction and suffer needless pain, I guess is another way to say it. You can make your life worse. Life isn't perfect. You can make it worse by ignoring God's instruction. So in that sense, living faithfully before God, yes, it does bring a reward. The second principle from the Bible um, is God gives peace to those who are faithful. And by peace, I mean peace of mind. The quality of our lives is not determined by, ready, health, wealth, comfort, pleasure, entertainment, safety, None of those things. I I think it's really very hard to be a Christian in a wealthy, free land. I do, and I mean that 100%. I think it's hard because we have so much competing with us to, to, to salve our minds and take it off of the things that really bring peace. And then we start running around after all these things, comfort and wealth and health and pleasure and safety in entertainment, that starts to fill our mind. And we're going to get that or we're going to keep that and we forget. 
that you can have all those things and not be happy if you don't believe it. Notice that Americans are really good at suicide. Richest nation in the history of the earth. And all people do is cry about what they don't have and elect politicians who will give them more stuff. You already have more stuff than the rest of the world. The quality of life is determined by a sense of peace and belonging with God. Not with a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, kids, family. The quality of your life, ultimately, is going to be your sense that you're at peace with God. And then everything else is built outside of that. That's why Jesus says, don't worry about all those things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This life has many joys. I love this life. I love this earth. This life has many sorrows. Sometimes this life stinks. It has sweet days and it has bitter days. But God offers peace in every day. Jesus said, a very familiar text, I quote it all the time because of my own sense of need, but also because of the profoundness of the truth that Jesus is telling. He said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Jesus saying, the reason I taught you this stuff that I'm teaching you in, in John chapter 16 is so you will have something. What is it? Peace. The thing you need to give a quality life. Then he says this, in the world you will have tribulation. God, Jesus promises peace and tribulation in the same breath. It, it doesn't make sense. Drink this and you'll be forever healthy, but you're also going to be sick. It doesn't make sense, but it does if you understand Jesus. He says, look, I said these things so you'd have peace because I'm going to leave you in a world filled with trouble. Do, do you see the mix? He does not say, I will relieve you of all the trouble and then you will have peace. No, no. He says, you're going to be in the trouble, but I'm going to give you something you need. Be, take heart, I've overcome the world. There's this ultimate sense when all your trouble will end anyway, he's saying. I've overcome this place. The best example or illustration I can give you of this comes from Jesus' life himself. Jesus was uh, in the boat with his boys. Twelve guys in, in, on the Sea of Galilee. Guys who are pretty used to the Sea of Galilee, pretty used to the storms. And a storm came up. And it says here, and he was in the stern, Jesus, asleep on the cushion. My man was wore out from weeks of ministering to folks. I got to get some shut-eye. See, you can see him. He probably curled up in the fetal position like we do. We're really tired, and he's got a cushion by his head. He's just chilling. Did he snore? I don't know. And they woke him saying, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Look, when guys who are... Who is, some of them are fishermen, tell you that they're about to die on the sea. They understand the danger. They asked him a very strange question to ask Jesus. Don't you care about us? Have you ever been in life's tribulations and prayed the same prayer? Don't you care? We're about to die. He woke. He rebuked the wind and the sea. He's probably like, oh, I was having such a good dream. He wakes up. <laughs> like, see, stop it, wind, knock it off. There. He said, peace, be still. The wind ceased. There was a great calm. 
the water's glass. Perfect. It's like morning glass on the, on the lake. Perfect for, for water skiing or something. And then he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? He, he's, he's implying to them, The reason you are afraid of dying is because you forgot that I interact. I'm, that God loves you. That God counts your hair. That I said, get on the boat. That if you're going to die, it's your time, but otherwise you're as safe as in your mommy's belly. Don't you have any faith? Why are you afraid? They were filled with great fear and said to one another, we're even more scared now. Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? The apostles were not at peace because they had forgotten that God was caring for them. What was their evidence? The storm. Does that remind you of anybody you know? Have you ever not been at peace because you forgot God was caring for you because of what? The storm in your life. What Jesus is saying is you're going to have a storm. I sleep in storms. You're going to be fine. But you don't know what's happening around me. Trust me, I do. And I'm going to give you peace. He is our peace. Peace is not given as a reward to foolish people. God trains us to trust him. Many times our hardships are to get us to let go. I think we hold on to things that hurt us. And sometimes our pain, I almost see God taking us and like, or I'll just say me, because I don't want to, you know, he's just like, he's like, let go of that thing, Mike. If you let go of it, your life would be better. And I don't know what it is. <laughs> Whatever need I think I have to have satisfied, Whatever treasure I have to have given, whatever safety needs to be assured me, he's like, let go of that. I'm like, okay, okay. He's like, ah, don't you feel better? That's what it says in Hebrews. It says he disciplines those he loves. Because those who have been trained by it, for those who have been trained by it, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I used to be a person who worried all the time. I almost never worry. For any of you anxiety sufferers, wouldn't you like to be me? But you got to go through this... (laughs) thing to let go of whatever that is so the third principle and final and I think this was always on David's mind and we should copy it is God is watching so we must always seek to do the things that please him God does reward the faithful he rewards us in heaven sometimes on earth but if nothing else he'll give us peace on earth Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends understanding, will guard your hearts and mind. But you know what he gives us most? If you, sometimes you talk with people who have suffered a lot, and they will tell you that during their suffering, they felt closest to God. Or you could probably talk to this guy, this Uber driver. I'm guessing he's a Christian. I don't know that. I don't know anything about him. But I bet you he is one of us. And I bet you he'd say he feels closer to God after getting fired than he would have if he sold out his conscience. So we want to live like he's always watching. 
because he is always watching. We are saved by grace apart from works. We hold that tight, Christians. I am not saved because of the good things I did. Just like yourselves, when I shed the mortal coil, when my spirit springs from this fading tent of a body, I will have no other hope except Christ dies for sinners, just like you. It's not by works, but by grace. It means Jesus did it all and I am saved. We'll never violate that. However, Satan would have us pervert that into thinking that means good works don't matter and that's a lie. We're saved by grace unto goodness. That we receive the Holy Spirit to reorient ourselves. The simplest way to think about it is what God honors most in this earth is his image. And every human you meet bears it. Good, bad, no matter what human you, you meet, no matter how they're behaving, they carry with them the image of God, you included. He wants you to treat those other images of God like he would treat them. And he wants you as an image of God to reflect him, to glorify him. That means in every situation, he's right there next to you, and you're going to behave as if he's right there next to you. Look what this warning comes in Galatians 6 to Christians. It says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. You can't play God for a fool. Always go back to my mind to this one guy named Chuck. Won't give his last name and it's far enough in history and he's from New Jersey. You won't know him. Whose mother always wanted him to come to church. He'd come on Easter sometime. And I knew Chuck from around town. Chuck was not a good representative of Christ. I don't even know if he's a Christian. And I even said so once. Look, dude. You know, you've got to walk with Christ if you're a Christian. And he said, I prayed the prayer. I prayed to receive Christ decades ago. I don't have to do anything. You ever just get scared to stand too close to a guy in case the weather gets bad? Don't be deceived, Chuck. God is not mocked. If you wear his name and you don't live for him... He knows. Whatever one sows, that he will reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not get weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. There's the answer to our question. If you do what is good, you're planting seeds of goodness and they will bring a return on your investment. Whether here or in heaven, either way, you'll be happy when it's time to collect. But if you do what is evil while you say you walk with Christ, you'll reap that too. And I got a feeling you don't want that here, there, or anywhere. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of the faith. The principle is always true. We are to love one another in the house of God above all else. That's how we show our discipleship. We 
who love God should daily prove our faithfulness. We do not have to be in a situation like David where there is some kind of a king chasing us and we could stab him, although that's way more exciting to me than my normal life, but that's probably not going to be my life. But I still am to live faithfully a life of virtue, a life that this world won't even understand. They don't even understand virtue. They don't even agree with virtue. If you say there is such thing as virtue, they'll call you a bigot. If you say there is such thing as courage, and there is such thing as dignity, and there is such thing as truth, and there is such thing as shame, and there is such thing as one right way, and there is such thing as a wrong way, they'll hate you. But I guarantee you, they want to see it. How do I know? Just watch how many people go to see the Avengers. Because say what you want about another superhero movie, people don't even, they're drawn to it because those people are virtuous. They just, they, they, they can't say that because they're not catching that because they're postmodern and they haven't been taught to think in public school. Now I'm getting off track. We are to love what is good and spurn what is evil. The text says, don't grow weary of doing good. God is not mocked. In 1 Corinthians 11, there is proof that God kills some Christians because they don't behave. So if you're a Christian and you're not living to please God, one of three things is going on. One, you're Chuck. You're not saved and you don't even know it. You're in the fool zone. Two, you are saved And God is going to bring nothing but trouble that you wouldn't have had. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul just comes right out and says, God has whacked some of you. Because you wouldn't live for him. I mean, God's rough. (laughs) God God is, I'm telling you, I know he's Jewish, but there's some Italian in him. He's like, he's like, going to make you an offer you can't refuse. 1 Corinthians 5, Paul turns over one guy to Satan. And he's a Christian. He says, I'm going to turn him over to Satan. And Satan's going to torment him, but his soul will be saved. He said, could that happen to me? It's promised to happen to you. That's the whole point of it being in the scripture. God is not mocked, Christian. You will live for him if you're a Christian, or he will take care of you. God looked on the heart of David and he knew the man. God looks in my heart. Makes me want to pray, just like David wrote, created me a clean heart, right? (laughs) Renew a right spirit in me. One of my favorite texts in all the Bible is Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. I'm going to read it to you from the New American Standard because that's how I memorized it and it will mess me up otherwise if I read the other. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and able to, to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That means when you are hearing the word of God read, this you, God is reading your soul. You're listening. The word going out, and God says, I am shining a light right. You can't hide. You can't hide. Some of you might be trying to hide. Some of you might be living in a way which you're ashamed, and you've got to fix something. God's light is right on it right now. I don't know it. 
Your neighbors don't know it. Maybe your own family doesn't know it. God's looking right at it. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Let us be like David in chapter 26. (laughs) Upright, even when it's easy to do the wrong thing. God will always reward us for our good work. Always reward us for our faithfulness. Always. It may or may not be the way we want earth to look like, but he has peace for us on this earth and rewards forevermore. And he, he has his ways of dealing with us if we're unfaithful. I know this is a sermon that just sounds like me saying, be good. And I know that can appeal to the flesh. But you've got to preach the whole word of God. You are saved by grace. By grace you are led. The spirit of God is in you to enable you to do good. Grace didn't come so that you could get away with doing more sin. Grace came to enable you to live well before God. And that's my prayer for myself. It's my prayer for everyone in here. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.